Welcome to the Age Group to Pro Triathlon Podcast. My name is Brian. I'm the Age Grouper. And I'm Kaylee, the Pro. Our mission is to help people go from confused to confident in their first few triathlons. Let's dive into today's episode. This weekend, we raced St. Anthony's. It went well. It was supposed to be a triathlon. It turned into duathlon. So we'll cover a pretty crazy race recap, any takeaways we learned, and also talk about Kaylee's first time winning prize money in a triathlon, but really a duathlon, which is okay. And we'll also define what a preen is and how she won money through what's called a preen versus actually making the podium, no offense. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I know that the the race directors at the end probably were a little confused, being like, yeah, you won two of the the preens, but then not <laughs> actually podiuming, but... Yeah, I don't think they were confused. Why would they be confused? I mean, you would think that out of two out of three events, the person who got the fastest times would... Oh, I would see. Would probably have the fastest overall time, but... So yeah, you had two of the three fastest legs, but didn't make... The prize money in the top eight. Yeah, for the top eight. That makes sense. I see. So we'll get into all that today. So let's start with the race recap for you. We'll get right into it. Why was St. Anthony's, why did it go from a triathlon to a duathlon? What happened? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty crazy. The week leading up to it, the weather was kind of just absolutely terrible race day morning. It started out with like 80% chance of lightning storms, um, 35, 40 mile per hour wind. Um, so I think everyone was keeping a close eye on it. And then each day as it got closer and closer, the rain was slowly getting pushed back um, earlier and earlier. And then, but the wind was staying the same. So ultimately I think they ended up not being able to convince the the like coast guards or the people that are out there to monitor the swim event, to feel safe enough to go out in the water. So they weren't able to do the swim because of that. Uh, And this was strictly because of the wind, because they did push the start time by about an hour to instead of 6.50 to 8 o'clock. So, but the wind was still crazy. I mean, it was 30 mile per hour wind with, I think, up to 40 mile per hour gusts. So, I mean, when we walked out there, though, the water actually didn't look as bad as you would think 30 mile per hour wind would would look no and that's because of the direction the wind was blowing in across the the tampa bay it wasn't causing white caps it caused a really flat and glassy sort of view so i would say the bike of the lake was the most affected not actually the swim but yeah the city officials wouldn't put out boats in the water because it was too risky for the people on boats, so they de- they felt it would definitely be too risky for, especially, um, there were over 1,200 people registered for the race, so they felt, you know, some of the weaker swimmers would definitely be at risk, so they made the right safety call and switched it to a, a duathlon, so let's talk about the format they switched it to. What were, what were the intervals for the race? So, typically, with a duathlon, if anybody keeps up with the duathlon, which I actually don't. And I learned a lot about duathlon this weekend. Um, The typical setup is a 5k run, a 40k bike and a 10k run at the end. So it's run, bike, run. 
But for this event, they turned it into a 2K to start and then the normal 40K bike and 10K run at the end. So the beginning leg was a good bit shorter. So a lot of us knew there wasn't going to be a lot of um, time between first and last going into transition one. So I think that we kind of had to plan the how to pace it a little bit differently than if you were running a 5K. Uh, so it was like a combination of as fast as you possibly can go without hitting any type of lactic threshold, which was kind of hard to find the balance. I mean, I think I did a good job. I, I went out around like a 525 pace, I think, for the the first one. So for me, that was a, a good, like I didn't reach any type of lactic um, threshold, which I kind of based mine off of previous workouts, especially... I had a six by six minute and kind of just chose what time I was able to hit consistent repeats at. So I don't know. How did you kind of decide what, what pace to take it out for a 2K run? Mm, Ryan, our coach, told me to take it out at a 545, so I took it out at a 545. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, if, if you're ever stuck in the situation like this, um, I think definitely consulting with coaches would be good as well as just kind of looking back at your previous uh, run splits. So, you know, learning what you can hold and like be able to still perform afterwards is was kind of like how we addressed that. Yeah. So let's get into the race recap. It sounds like you're shifting gears to it. So you said you started off with the run and the goal of that run, of course, you're getting on the bike. So you don't want to create the point where you're going into your anaerobic systems. So you pace it out just below where that point where the lactate would really be building up. So what happened on that first run? Talk us through it. Yeah. So, I mean, they did not give us a, um, a course preview for, for that, the 2k. Cause this, I mean, they changed the race to a duathlon. I mean, less than 24 hours before the start of the race. So uh, we did not actually see where the turns were and kind of how how like the start and getting into T1 was really going to work. So we all took it out pretty hard. It spaced out pretty well, uh, but then towards the end, we took a wrong turn, the front pack of three. So I there was two girls in front of me that they were probably about 10 meters in front of me. Uh, so they t took the turn and I followed along and then we pretty quickly realized that we were not supposed to go that way. So the race uh, volunteers were pointing and was like, no, you're supposed to go along the water. So we realized that and then started to kind of turn and go back to where we were supposed to be. And at that point, a lot of the other girls had kind of caught back up. So it ultimately bunched up pretty a lot more than it probably would have if, if we didn't all make that wrong turn. Uh, but with that, I kind of happened to be in the lucky middle spot to where I was able to correct the, the wrong turn, get back on track and was actually in first. So I came into T1 uh, with the fastest time, which I <laughs> did not expect to do, especially with like the two girls that were, you know, they were really crushing it in front of me, but um, I was lucky to have that. So, and that was actually one of the, the bonuses uh, was getting first in the first run, so. Right. So a preen is a bonus for each triathlon lake. So it's incentive to do well in the swim. Sometimes they have them in transitions, although this race didn't. And then 
in the bike, so the person with the, with the fastest bike, and then the person with the fastest run. So that's what a preen is. Kaylee won that first preen, and then you didn't win the transition one preen if there was one. Yeah, not, not, not at all. Transition. Not at all. You were against some Olympians and people with their transitions on lock, so. Yeah, I mean... Right after the race, that was actually one of the hardest critiques I got from my coach was just how bad my my T1 was because I, I went in first and got out with like five girls in front of me. So um, I learned some, some good lessons there. I think I may have been the only uh, professional who did not have their shoes started in um, uh, on their cleats. So my coach has now instructed me to never take my shoes off of my bike. Uh, So I'm going to start riding, getting on and off of my shoes just so I can get comfortable so that for the next race, my, you know, that's just one less step that I need to do. Um, So hopefully that'll make my time a little bit better. Yeah. And we don't want to learn new skills on race day. So it wasn't the right time to try anything new. So you knew going in that that was going to be a slower point for you, but you got on the bike. It was as windy as they said. Yeah. I mean, the wind was just pretty crazy. If anyone who's listening has ever rode in, you know, 30 plus mile an hour wind, you definitely know just how much you get thrown around on the bike. Uh, I think that... Especially the lighter you are. Yeah, I was going to say, I think lighter people tend to get thrown around a little more than heavier people who can kind of like hold their bike down. But I think that... Luckily, it is pretty windy here, so it wasn't something that I had never experienced before, but I definitely think that my confidence was not as high, especially holding uh, arrow TT position. So I think that definitely affected my confidence, which translated to a lot lower watts that I know I'm capable of doing for the bike especially just letting off of the pedals a lot. Anytime a major gust would come by, I kind of would brace myself and almost forget to keep pedaling through it. So I think that that was also an impact of just kind of the spiking going up and down and up and down throughout. So yeah, it, it just, it wasn't a good bike. My mind wasn't in it very much. I kept thinking, I don't really want to be here. This wind is really annoying, especially when you would have a crosswind throwing you around and then you would turn a corner and then you have a headwind who, I mean, it just felt like you were not going forward. So yeah, Yeah. it just, it wasn't a very good one for me. And especially in triathlon, there's so many moments where you can exit the racing mentality and get into a just survive mentality. So uh, I, for, it's so important to stay engaged, stay racing because once you sort of lose that, mindset it's really hard to to get it back and just a tip of advice for people riding in windy situations on the tt position you want to keep your weight on your arms pushing down on the arrow bars because as soon as you get up that front wheel has even less pressure and it it can really blow you around even more so of course be safe but that's you know primarily what you want to do you want to just keep pedaling through it and keep that weight down on it but a lot of pros said it was the windiest race they've ever raced so experience lessons learned yeah i mean there was just so many learning opportunities at this race because i mean for one the conditions i mean i mean especially the fact that it was a duathlon i mean i don't know the next time i'll do one but 
if it ever happens, you know, I'm a little bit more prepared. And I think, like you said, just kind of having that race mentality is so hard to keep on the bike. I mean, it's such a long event. And I think even for me, I was alone a lot of the time. So I I didn't see anyone in front of me, behind me, you know, anywhere. I mean, it was a very lonely kind of race. And I think that I kind of just let my mind get away from me. And I think and like for a lot said. of a lot of age groupers, triathlons are time trialing versus racing against Paula Finley and Vittoria Lopez and, and the pros shoulder to shoulder like you had the opportunity to at least start with. So it's important to know going in that, OK, I might be alone for an hour, two hours, three hours in this race. And the mindset has to be I am racing. There is a clock. If you're going for performance versus completion and learning to stay mentally engaged when things get hard and it's, it's not going to happen every time, but yeah, it's a, it's a good lesson to learn and pay attention to. One of the tips to stay engaged, like one of the things that kept me engaged was if a bike came past me, don't let them go ride with them. So were there any opportunities for you in the race? to get on somebody's wheel? Like, what was it like seeing uh, people come by and then, you know, trying to hang with them, some of the really strong cyclists? Yeah, that is actually something super new for me this year because as previous age grouper, oftentimes I would get out of the water pretty far back and then there was just so many people in front of me that I I was passing and that I never really had people coming around me. And that was just because of where I was getting out of the water. Um, whereas this year, or, or I mean, not even this year, but for this race particularly, I was in the front coming into T1, which is something I've just never experienced before. So as soon as I got on the bike, uh, there was a couple of girls in front of me, but there was also several girls still behind me. So I had several just trains of women coming by pretty early on, I would say within the first five miles of the race. And I think that I could have done a better job of trying to spike the power, getting in and just like trying to ride with them a little more instead of just kind of being down about my watts being low and my legs not feeling good and just kind of just like, oh, I'm just going to ride what I can. Uh, So I think that that was... A mistake that I will try not to make in the future. Uh, but then throughout, there was every now and then a girl would come around me. So I think eventually I did try to stay on. And then for the last one, I I did ride with someone for a while. But I, again, just didn't really race it as, as well as I could have. I think that I could have pushed a little bit harder. But yeah, it was a lot of a lot of mistakes, but so much to learn. So, I'm, I mean, I'm just so happy I did have that opportunity. Yeah, not every day is going to be your day when it comes to if your body's on, your body's off, your mind's on, your mind's off. But there's so many variables that go into it. So let's talk about the, the final 10K. What was it starting to feel like? It was was it hot? Yeah, I would say uh, the sun started coming out, right? By that point, yeah. it, was, it was kind of sunny. Uh, the wind was still crazy. Uh, if honest, it may have even gotten worse as the day went on. I don't know. It, was, it felt worse, but uh, the sun started coming out. I'm not really sure what temperature it was. Maybe upper 70s? Yeah, 80s? it was 80. It was 80 by then? Florida heat of 80, yeah. 
So, humid. so humid, 80, very windy. So you got off the bike. How'd your legs feel off the bike? Uh, pretty, pretty quickly off the bike. My legs just did not feel that great. Uh, so I went with the, the tactic of find your legs uh, within the first five or half mile. So I kind of settled into the pace around probably a 5.55 just to kind of see what if I could push it for the last few miles. So that was kind of my strategy going into the first mile. Quickly realized that I probably didn't have much more than that for the race. So I decided to kind of just lock into that range, the 550s range, and kind of just hold and count down the miles as I was going and just keeping water on me and staying cool throughout. But I think around point or at three miles in, so the halfway point, there's a hard turn back. So you could kind of see your competition, see how many girls were in front of me. So I kind of had counted down to where the goal was to at least be top eight and knew about how many girls I needed to catch in the last three miles to kind of to get into the, at least like the, what they had is the podium. Um, and so I was able to end up catching two, but I was one short of that. So ultimately ended up ninth place overall. But I mean, I just, again, was not as engaged as I probably should have been. I think that I was just kind of hanging on to what my legs had at the like bare minimum threshold. I, I definitely didn't, dig deep and find another gear that I probably could have had, but I just kind of held on to like a sustainable pace of where I wasn't as uncomfortable as I could have been, if that makes sense. Yeah. And the gap between you and the next three girls was about three minutes. So even pushing, finding that extra gear wouldn't have caught you up to them it really came down I think to it was even less than that though but it's it was about a minute it was between one and one and a half and two minutes between me and then there was a pack of three girls yeah which and like you said there was you already had the fastest run so going another two minutes faster than yeah. the fastest would be extraordinary you would have beaten half the male field at that point yeah so. it should have been made up on the bike for sure I think yeah. And like you said, I when I finished, I, my dad had texted me a mini recap because he kind of he tracked us and kept up with us. So I I looked at my phone and he was like, "You had the fastest two run splits," and I was like, "No, this isn't real." And I looked into the results and was looking at it and I was like, "Wow, I actually did." So I did manage to have the fastest two run splits, even on what I would consider a pretty bad run day for me. Uh, but yeah, so. Kaylee ran the 10K in a 36.44. It was a true 10K. Both of our watches had us at 6.2, like 6.19, 6.2 miles. So spot on. Paula Finley won the race. Paula Finley ran a 36.55. She looked super strong out there when she came by me. Um, and she's racing Ibiza this week. So she probably ran it more as a tempo. Yeah, definitely. And then... Um, like Kaylee said, the first run on the tracker read slow because they made the wrong turn and they mapped it out as 1.3 miles, but it was more like 1.5 miles. Yeah. But your pace was around a 525 for that per mile, right? Yeah, according to my watch. Yeah. Yeah. So all in all, decent run splits. You know where you need to work on the bike. And I think that 
that sets you up really well for Chattanooga, which is a downriver swim, so you should be pretty fresh getting on the bike. And just getting into the right racing mentality, right, for that race coming up. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't want to feel this way after my next race, so it's kind of just going to make me work a little bit harder and kind of get my my mind more into racing, which I also think school has been very stressful. So, I mean, as a lot of people know, if, if things outside of athletics and training is stressful, I think that that translates into your performance and just kind of where your mind is. And I think that did affect me on this race. I am in the middle of finals and have just had so many exams and just haven't been able to truly focus on this race leading up to it. So I think that had a big thing, uh, a big part to play. And I, I think a lot of other people can relate to that and have had that happen. And I think just kind of, you know, letting yourself, I, I was upset the day and I, I was not happy and I kind of let myself have that. And now going forward, I'm just learning from it. And then, you know, getting my, like you said, getting my mind right for the next one. And I, I'm excited that I'll be done with school next week. <laughs> So I have a few weeks to just only focus on triathlon. So I'm really excited about Chattanooga in, in what, three weeks now. So Yeah, it's going to come up fast. It's, it's impossible to live in a bubble. Everybody has outside stressors and things that will build up emotionally on them. So especially with school and life and everything else going on, if you, if you gave the best you had on the day, that's all you can ask for. And then just moving forward from there. Yeah, so. there's... Hopefully always another race, which uh, like, you know, I, I didn't crash my bike. I had no run injuries, so I'm still healthy. I can still pick up training, which I'm getting right back into it. So at the end of the day, it was, you know, such a great learning opportunity. I think you can learn a lot from the races that don't go well. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. Any other details about St. Anthony's you want to provide or that's that was your race? Yeah, I mean, that was my race, but I mean... Was it cool spending time with some of the other pros? Oh, yeah. I think that was probably the most incredible part about the weekend, is that getting to see some other professionals who we've both looked up to and we really follow like what they're doing and how their racing is coming along and being able to just like actually sit and talk with them was really cool. I think it was a little bit of a, a fangirl moment for me, but I was trying to to play it cool as best as I could, but it was, it was really cool. It was really yeah. Cool. And they're just people too. And it it's funny when you ask for advice or tips from them, it's there. It's not like there's these, any magic bullets, which we might talk about a little later in the podcast of, what they're doing differently to succeed versus why, you know, maybe you're a little further behind. It's usually just their answer is time, work really, really hard and stick with it. They've been doing it a lot longer than you. So yeah, there weren't any magic bullets that we discovered, but they are cool people and very welcoming. Yeah, it was definitely a, a really awesome event. Um, they even the, the event itself was really well put together all the volunteers were amazing. So it was just, it was a great race experience overall. St. Anthony's is definitely a bucket list race. If you're anywhere close in the proximity, if you're in the United States, it was their 40th year anniversary. For yeah. The race. I mean, so. if that says anything, the fact that it has been going on for 40 years is crazy. They run it really generously and 
there's actual prize money for the pros that I think is really fair for an Olympic distance race. And they also take care of the age groupers and make sure everybody has a positive experience. Yeah, I mean, I think their their little food tent at the end is probably one of the best ones. So, yeah. I mean, for the pros and for the age groupers. I yeah. mean, it's both, I think. Food yeah, is good. They do a really great job. I had like four chocolate milks. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, before we move on, I mean, Brian had an amazing race. I think, what, you ended up second in your age group? Yeah, last year I got fifth. It was my third ever triathlon in my age group. So I squeaked into the top five, and that qualified me for age group nationals. This year, I improved by, I guess, three places to get second in my age group. Yeah. The same guy who beat me the first year beat me again, yeah. which is fine. Getting closer. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, that's improvement. And I had my all-time best 60-minute power on the bike, so I had some watt improvements there. And, um, it was your second best 10 K, right? Yeah. In, in, a in, in a race. Yeah. yeah. So that wasn't even far off from your best. Right. So I went out at a 545 per mile, burnt no matches, quick transition, had my shoes on the bike, hopped on and rode with a pack for the first 32 minutes. So my Watts were about 12 to 15 Watts higher on average. Like I was pushing anywhere from 250 to 270 to stay with that pack, but I knew I should have settled at around 230 watts for the race just because that's where I can run off of. So it caught up to me, but I definitely had a strong bike. And then um, off off the bike, when I went to unstrap my shoe, I just had the worst cramp down my entire right side. So my abs locked up, my right leg locked up, and I don't know who it was. I, I wasn't like able to even see through the pain, but somebody was like, breathe through the cramp. And that really helped me because I just <sighs> calmed down. I was really tense and I just relaxed and took some deep breaths. Probably the advice they give people giving birth <laughs> and it helped me survive and just refocus because I was about to get off the bike and have to run a 10 K. So I was pretty locked up. And the whole run was just about running that exact pace of where I could feel my body was about to lock up, but but keep going forward. I mean, my quads are so sore today that I can barely walk. But I think I also had the fastest 10K for my age group out of like 40 people as well. Yeah. I mean, that was really so. impressive. And I know that you have struggled with cramping. And I feel like there's also a lot of other people who have that similar problem. Is there been anything that has really helped you or any nutrition changes you've done or you know I don't know any advice that you would have I think over biking is something that causes cramps for a lot of people it's easy to get rambunctious and try and push your best bike but there's also a power number that you can sustain smoothly so you can still have run legs off of it so I think you know especially with a lifting background I can push really hard on the pedals for 10 seconds, for 30 seconds, for a minute. But that will also lead to overexertion on your muscles and causing cramps down the line. So having a smooth and steady bike versus pushing really hard helps. Making sure that you're drinking electrolytes helps. I mean, we had a pretty pretty standard nutrition plan. We went with um, like 300 calories of drink mix, water, and then two Martin gels 
for the Olympic distance. So making sure your nutrition plan's in line and um, also a good bike fit. Riding a road bike for my race versus a, T, uh, a TT bike puts more pressure on my quads versus a smooth uh, pedal stroke and, and giving me better run legs. So I think I'm going to try and get set up on, on the TT bike that I have instead of racing the road bike for these uh, non-draft events because that can also make a really big difference just based on your fit and position of, of where you're putting the pressure. So yeah, those are the main things, but it, it also just comes from building up strength and endurance. Yeah. So I'll get there. Yeah. I mean, I know you've come a long way with cramping because when we first started, you tend to almost cramp every race. Like it was a really hard thing. And I know you have tried a lot of things. So yeah, I think those are some really good, some good tips. Yeah. It's a pain and just know that it's a really long process and you just have to get stronger too. I think that's even yeah, for me. Yeah, and I think, isn't it one of those things that if you cramp once, it, it does make it easier to cramp again? That's what they say, at least for a few months. It neuromuscularly wires uh, that area to cramp again if you cramp once. So, yeah, I, I don't want to stress people out and make them think they're always going to cramp. because No, I've, but I think it, it shows that they won't always cramp because... You've had it happen several times, but you've reached a point where you aren't. Like, you have really good, successful races without cramping. And even this one, you started to cramp, had it, you know, but were able to get through it and then run your race without having any that made you have to stop. So Yeah, it's the tough part about triathlon. As everybody listening knows, Kaylee and I lean into our run strength. Relatively speaking, hers is really good. Mine's okay. And you get to the end of a triathlon and sometimes it's really hard to run. So just the more strength you build in the swim, the more strength you build in the bike, that's really the best way to have your successful run. Yeah. Which is and tough to accept. Yeah. I was going to say that's something that is some, it's, it's hard to remember that because the stronger you are on the bike, the fresher you'll feel on the run. And like you said, with, with the swim, especially the, the stronger you are swimming the, and the fresher you can feel getting out of the water, you'll just have that much better events for the next two. So yeah, Jason West had the fastest bike and still chipped off sub five minute miles for the, for the 10 K. So it's possible. Yeah. You just have to build it up over time. Lots years and work. years. Yeah. Lots of work. So that is the St. Anthony's recap Chattanooga's next for you. Then we'll have a training camp out in Arizona with our coach in late May, early June. So why don't we get into some of the questions for the day? Yeah, sounds good. All right. So the first question comes from Amy all the way from Dubai, which is really cool. The fact that someone in Dubai is listening to our podcast. So from Amy, hey guys, absolutely love the pod. It's super refreshing to hear your take on various topics, especially given you both started triathlon from scratch not too long ago. So, yep, that's, that's our focus. That's our goal, right? We we're pretty new to it. So we are learning through doing and learning right alongside you all. The question is about nutrition. People love to hear our take on nutrition. Um, I know we've talked about it a lot on podcasts. 
what is your approach to your everyday diet? What does the day of eating look like for you? And do you take any supplements and why? Lots of love from Dubai. Thanks so much, Amy. Really appreciate it. So there's a few questions inside of it. And like I said, we've we've covered nutrition, especially in between the gaps for you. Yeah. But why don't we work this question backwards and start with the supplements? Yeah, so with supplements for me, I think the answer is actually pretty simple. I actually use no supplements. Uh, I have considered it. I just haven't taken the time to look into things. I think that there are some supplements that can benefit you for more of just an everyday health stand, uh, standpoint, but I personally have not looked into it or used anything. I don't even take a an everyday multivitamin. So I guess, yeah, I, I probably don't have as much experience with it, but you have definitely experimented a little more with uh, the supplement side, so... Yeah, and I wanted to start with the supplement side because in light of what's going on in triathlon with EPO and, and the doping, I think a lot of people are on, on edge now about, well, what are people doing to get that extra little edge? Yeah. So I think transparency around supplements would be a really big first step in a direction of just being like, yeah, there's there's no magic bullet legally. It it just takes hard work. Supplement companies have a ton of marketing incentive around them. It's a lot more marketed than like the 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 fruit and vegetables companies, right? Like it's like, yeah, eating fruit and vegetables is probably good for you. Eating yeah. red meat is probably good for you. They don't have to market that to for that to be obvious. But with a supplement, um, there's a lot of companies that do the same thing or something very similarly. So when it comes to supplement selection, I've always tried to supplement something that was a deficit for me. So vitamin D3, specifically D3, um, that's the animal-based one for the vegetarians or vegans out there. It's good to know that there's also vitamin D2. It's just less bioavailable. You can, you can supplement vitamin D3 on a really high level, um, especially if you're not getting a lot of sunlight and you have blood work and it comes back that your vitamin D levels are low. So that's that's an easy one that has a ton of positive effects and very little effects, uh, adverse effects for people. So yeah, I, and I, on that, I think that I've even seen people who are spending a lot of time outside actually find that their D3 levels are still lower than they should be. So I think that that one is actually one that a lot of people supplement, like you're saying, for a deficit. So, you know, I guess with that, what do you think about getting blood work or all of these like different tests to know what your deficits are? Have you, have you ever done that? Or I have not. I think that's the best way to go, though, if you're considering supplementation. Don't take supplements for the sake of taking supplements because the Instagram ad says something to you. I think there's some really good core ones that you're always safe with. I'll talk about those. And then from there, supplementing the deficits, you know, if you have an iron def deficiency, if you have a vitamin D3 deficiency is the best way to go. Yeah. I think that if you're feeling some sort of weird fatigue or something that just seems a little bit off in training, I think 
it's not a bad idea to to get these levels tested just to get an understanding, especially with how much you're working out. It's it's probably a good thing. And it's something I'm even considering doing either over the summer when I have more time or doing it more frequently on off season just to get a better idea of where where my nutrition and the levels are. Yeah. But the, you know, the, it's a lot of times you're just tired because it's, it's hard. It's yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it's, not tired. it's hard to, to know what, what's like tired of overworking versus you're a little bit nutrient deficient. Yeah. You could, you're probably just tired because you're working hard. Like you're training 15, 20, 25 hours, you're pushing your body up against the very limit, trying to figure out three sports versus one and then live a normal life. So a lot of times it's not like a magic bullet of supplements, but I would say the core supplements that everybody can benefit from would be protein. So I, I use whey protein. That's, that's a safe one. Vitamin D3 is always good. Magnesium has helped me in specific circumstances. If like I lay down and my heart feels kind of like fluttery or rapid, yeah. sometimes there's a magnesium deficiency and magnesium's a, an electrolyte, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah. you know, that that's, and then electrolytes in general are always pretty safe to supplement with additional water, of course. So sodium, as crazy as that sounds, is a really key supplement as we get into the summer months here for Georgia yeah. for me. I always forget you can't, I mean, these are considered supplements. And I guess when you're saying that, like I do use protein after the gym. And then I also take in a lot of electrolytes, especially living in Georgia. So yeah. And supplements that I've tried in the past, but haven't seen um, noticeable gains. So creatine is a big one that I think especially guys ask about. Because when it comes to lifting, creatine has an obvious effect. When it comes to aerobic training, I haven't seen my performance increase or decrease with creatine. It You'll gain a few extra pounds. You'll be able to move weights better in the weight room. But I don't find it necessary for a triathlon. You've never tried creatine, right? No, I have yeah. not. And then I know you recently... We're saying you, you've had creatine for a while and you were kind of just testing it out more for the bike than anything else. And then you've recently kind of come off of it with just traveling and just like kind of the inconvenience of having it around. So did you find that your performance was any different when you were supplementing creatine versus more recently? No, I personally don't think creatine has a positive or negative effect in, in terms of you know, that aerobic threshold type of performance. If you're pushing a 10 second max power on the bike, yeah, maybe there's a small effect. If you're doing 200 meter repeats, maybe there's a small effect. With with all supplements, make sure they're third party tested for any sort of illegal or unwanted supplements. You don't want a tainted supplement, period. So, yeah, I was actually yeah. going to say that there's a lot less regulation when it comes to supplements. So you need to make sure, you know, they are being very transparent and have, I think there's even like a seal of approval for when they have been third party tested. Uh, so paying a little extra to get that is definitely worth it uh, to make sure you're not getting in anything that's going to be banned. Yeah. There's just such a complex system of the adaptations that your body wants to get. So 
Christian Blumenfeld has mentioned to other pros that he doesn't take any supplements during his training block because he wants his body to obtain those physiological adaptations naturally. He almost feels that the supplements will block any adaptations that are happening. You just have to push yourself. And then when you push yourself, those the desired adaptations happen and you get better permanently. Um, or at least, you know, for the training block. Yeah, I mean, your body's going to always want to maintain equilibrium. So at all points, there's always like a high, uh, an overproduction of something if there's an underproduction and kind of vice versa. So it, it kind of makes sense that if, if your body's trying to maintain this like narrow balance that if you're supplementing with one, it may not be doing the counter-regulatory so that if it gets taken away, then all of a sudden there's like this moment of time where your body's not making it or it's overdoing it. So I think that it makes sense to to kind of go by that philosophy. Yeah, you see it in the illegal supplements. So if people take testosterone, naturally they produce less testosterone and the associated um, other body chemicals with it. And then same thing with EPO, there's a withdrawal phase in the red blood cell production because you're getting it artificially or you know, you're know you signaling your body to overproduce it. There's always the counterbalance to it. So bottom lining supplements, take the ones that are third-party tested and approved and don't look for any magic bullets. If you want to get 10% better a year, it's going to be from hard work and training, not from you know some of the supplements I've seen out there like NMN or um, L-carnitine or there's there's a lot of these like up-and-coming supplements that I there's also some really adverse studies associated with them so for anyone listening on supplements if you have more questions about a specific one feel free to dm us and i've probably read the the research study on it good or bad so happy to help out there yeah and and kind of transitioning to the other part of that question from Mm -hmm. this is we typically our approach to supplements is uh for any deficits we might have but then that goes into trying to not have those deficits, which is going to come from like a balanced, just nutrition of what you're eating every single day. So I think that for us, we, I, I would say we do a pretty good job of eating balanced meals. We try to make sure we eat almost every type of protein every week. So we usually will have a meal that has pork, chicken, beef, even sometimes we'll do fish and shrimp. So you know, we, we balance that throughout the week so that anything that one specific protein might have that is lacking in another, we are trying to make up for. And then I always try to have some sort of vegetable and then some sort of, well, lots of carbs with every meal. So I think trying to make sure you're eating a diverse uh, meal, nutrition throughout the week is, is important to kind of prevent those deficits from happening. Yeah, we're on the seafood diet. We see food and then we eat it. So it's it's not a very strict and polished diet. It's not within these small, fine margins. It expands out to a lot of times identifying if our body's having a craving, it probably means we're heavily lacking yeah. something, right? Yeah. If we're craving something, we usually will just eat it. Yeah. So. It's almost like a warning sign when your body has a craving. Like if you want something salty and savory you might be in an electrolyte deficit yeah so i think you had like three slim jims on the drive home from florida yeah i mean i was just eating 
everything salty. I had like two packs of pickles from different gas stations, some Slim Jims. I was eating uh, goldfish. So yeah, I, I knew I needed salt. So Pickles from gas stations are a thing in the United States. They're like packaged fancy pickles. Yeah. It's not not weird, I promise. Yeah, I guess it could sound weird. Yeah. It's so popular now. They're, I mean, pretty much everywhere. Every gas station, I mean, even grocery stores sell the little packets. Yeah. So. Sushi from gas stations, don't do it. Yeah. Pickles, I, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> fine. So again, back to the point, just really having a macro focused diet, you know, making sure that an easy benchmark is getting your body weight in kilograms of protein per day and then getting enough calories in from a carbohydrate standpoint, and then having some healthy fats, both unsaturated and saturated, because saturated fats play into the production of important hormones like testosterone in your body on a daily basis. And I get those a lot of times from milk, like dairy products have saturated fats. Greek yogurt, I believe, has saturated fats. Um, So yeah, I mean, very quickly, our mornings look like Belvita cookies and then I have between three and six eggs and three and five pieces of toast and then lunch a lot of times is leftovers of what we eat just like Haley said the the protein variety and then dinner consists of either a pasta or a rice and then or potatoes or potatoes I was gonna say we also are very variable about what our carb source is too yeah and then with some sort of meat to complement it and then um you know, we eat cereal before bed, cereal and milk. Yeah, that's our dessert most nights. So it's super routine. And that's what at least 80% of the time our nutrition looks like. And then we color it in with fun stuff 20% of the time, which means eating out and not worrying any at all about what it is. Yeah, I was going to say, we don't, we really don't focus too much on what we're eating as much as we do that we're getting enough. Enough is the key word. Yeah. So if we, if we want to eat out, we eat out. If we, I mean, we had Chinese food last night, so that was kind of our, our post-race fun, yeah, fun and that's, meal. That's not every day. It's no, we a don't, once a week thing, we'll eat out. We don't have it every, every day and a meal like that, we, we try to, yeah to limit, but. And the things we limit in our 80% would probably be seed oils. Yeah, we definitely try our best to, to limit that. Just keeping more more things that we can find that have butter as the as the oil source we we try to go with that or olive oil yeah olive oil is a good one um which is what i typically cook with to like you said get in mm-hmm. those those fats yeah there's a, an an oversaturation of omega 6s has you know we've seen a lot of adverse effects in in terms of studies for that so that's the one thing we stray away from is, is seed oils in our diet when, when we can again because it's, it's not... so hard i mean if you actually start looking at what it's in it's literally everything so yeah. it's it's a hard one to to take out but we've we've tried to to limit it so yep. so to bottom line it enough calories progress not perfection 80 20 rule and that's that's our walkthrough on our diets and supplements but it's it's nothing fancy it's just giving our body the fuel it needs to hit that next workout. So thanks for the question. Our final question of the day, which can just be sort of a discussion, comes from Nick. And that is, who are our favorite pros? Which is a tough one because all of, all of the pros are our favorite pros. But I thought we could just have a fun discussion around 
who we look up to in the sport for different reasons and yeah. go from there. Yeah. yeah, and I think even our perspective is going to be different than people who may have been in the sport for a really long time because we, you know, we've been in it for now. We're going on our second year. So a lot of the, the more, you know, newer, current uh, star athletes are the people who we have learned and kind of looked up to. So I think that's kind of an interesting perspective. But yeah, I mean, how would you kind of like, what was like the first person you looked up to when you first started getting into triathlon? Yeah, and I have to go on record saying that my favorite pro is sitting next to me, so I'm biased. <laughs> but the way we got into triathlon was watching the Tokyo Olympics of prominently Christian Blumenfeld, Alex Yee, and Hayden Wild racing it out in that 10K neck and neck. And Alex Yee runs like this beautiful gazelle. And he looked so relaxed and like he had it the entire time. Yeah, he didn't even look like he was trying. And every step, Christian Blumenfeld were like, this guy has one more step in him and he's going to blow up. This guy has one more step in him. And watching him fight through the pain and that sort of human limit and winning gold in the Tokyo Olympics was that moment where at least I said, and I think, you know, Kaylee too, said, yeah, we got to try this sport. Like that, that was just the craziest thing we've ever seen. And the cool thing about triathlon is, you know, body types don't matter. Jan Ferdino's six foot five and skinny. Christian Blumenfeld is like five foot eight, five foot nine and built like an ox. Like he's so strong and powerful. Um, it's just how hard can you push yourself? So Christian Blumenfeld for me was that, that first pro that I really looked up to. And I was like, this guy's the real deal. And he was the first person to inspire me in triathlon. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I think very similarly, I watching him and watching that race with you kind of was like one of the first big ones. But even on the women's side, Flora Duffy was, you know, winning gold was just super cool. And then also just watching how much she was grateful for it, especially for like her country. Cause I think it was the first gold that their country had ever won in the Olympics and kind of just following her story along with that was really cool. And I really enjoyed uh, seeing that, but I mean, the same thing with Christian, I think it was easy to, to see him win that and then jump on the, the Christian Blumenfeld bandwagon and watching him, you know, just kind of crush even the longer distance stuff right after was you know, it was just really cool. It was like, it was a good time to get into it, I think, and to watch it all. Yeah, I think we started at some really amazing times for the sport of triathlon, where it was like, just amazing things were happening. But it seems like there's a continuum where amazing things are always happening in the sport of triathlon. And people just keep raising the bar. Yeah. So that's, that was our initial professional reactions, right? Who do you consider to be the goat of triathlon not just oh like a huge inspiration a huge powerhouse but who's the greatest of all time pro yeah i mean looking at past events and kind of just like winnings i think that like it's it's pretty obvious that on the women's side daniela reef has just been I mean, such a powerhouse as well as uh, Jan on the men's side. So I would say like those two are are pretty equally stacked in their resume and all their wins and 
just like some of the absurd accomplishments that they've both made. Uh, but then, I mean, yeah, I, I would say those two are, are two that just looking up to that have been great in the, the sport for so long now. Yeah. I mean, they both raced short course and Jan won the 2008 Beijing Olympics. So he had gold and then he's been, I think, a five-time world championship uh, winner in Kona as well. Yeah. I believe. Or maybe three in Kona, two in short, uh, 70.3. But two legends. I I pick Alistair as the male really? greatest. Uh, yeah. I just think his per- his wins and performances have been so dominant, so crushing, and he can push himself to this pain cave like this window of pain that's just so much greater than everyone else and when you watch Alistair race like I don't think you can ever count him out so it's going to be really exciting to see him perform in Ibiza I think he's going to have a really great day out there yeah but I mean it's going to be a great race we are both so excited for the race this weekend so the thing about GOAT is it's the greatest of all time it's not like oh who are all of the greatest of all time so there can only be one and I think on the male side, it's yet to be seen. I don't think you can pick someone yet. Really? Well, that's why you said Jan and I said Alistair. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's true. That's true. I think it's yet to be seen. I think for females right now, Daniela Reef is the most decorated and clear dominant performer yeah. in women's triathlon, even though we didn't quote unquote grow up in triathlon watching her. So there's definite pros that on the female side that we look up to more because you know, they've been performing while we've been watching. So who comes to mind to you in the up and comer space for female pros? Yeah, for me, I think I'm a little biased with my, my runner background, but Tamara Jewett has been, I mean, she just crushed Oceanside. And I think that I've seen her get better and better throughout, especially last year. And I think that she's going to have such an awesome year this year. And I'm really, really excited to follow her and just kind of see where she goes and I think yeah right now she's somebody who I've definitely looked up to and and yeah have really followed yeah and she's someone who's lived with balance practicing part-time law and also doing the whole pro triathlon thing like Kaylee's trying to do um and at the same time going all in now on her dreams as of November so yeah I think we just really look up to her for that yeah, and I think it's, I mean, it's it's showing, you know. She mm-hmm. had such a good performance. I mean, what, ran a 113 at, at Oceanside, which Flat, is yeah. just crazy. It's, and she was like, you beat most of the male's pros. So, yeah, I mean, it was just a, such an awesome performance to watch. Yeah, and then, you know, I think for the up-and-comers on the guys' side, um, I'm going to go real off the cuff here. Um, Miguel Maddox is a first year pro, just like Kaylee, him and his now fiance, Jenna Hoffler, um, I think make a real difference in the triathlon space from like their community. So, you know, I look up to him for his performance and, you know, how, how well he's doing, like not, he's a phenomenal swimmer, but he's also pressed so far in the run and his bike numbers look really good too. Um, So I think he's a real talent, but also the impact that they're having in the community is also a piece of what we're striving to do for the triathlon community. So for an up-and-comer pro, again, we could name so many people. Yeah, We could go through the list of like 
Sam Long, Jackson Laundry, like, you know, just so many people that like stand out to us, but I'm going to just pick one, say, you know, Miguel's having a real impact on the men's side. And uh, I think, yeah, I think he'll do some big things in the, in the coming years. What about um, from just an inspiration perspective, I think, you know, with TTL yeah, I was gonna yeah, say. growing up in the triathlon community and watching it to now being part of the team, Eric and Paula have always been such a cool inspiration to us, both on the performance side and the creative side. Yeah, I was going to say just kind of as we've gotten more in the sport and kind of seeing the community involvement and just uh, getting to know that, I think that they are somebody who we look up for, who has done such a good job at creating a brand that I think a lot of people align with and kind of support. And I think that that has been a really cool thing to see. And, you know, they're also two people we've really gotten behind and enjoy watching their races and are always excited to see what they're going to do and kind of kept up and followed them. So yeah, they're definitely two other pros that are doing even more than just high performance. Yeah. And what's cool about Eric is he's high performance. He trains really hard, consistently works hard. He doesn't have an off switch, which most of the pros don't. Um, but he's also doing some races that are fun. Like he's into mountain biking and Xterra. So he's going out to Ibiza and I think he's racing in more of like the Xterra world championships. Right. Which is super cool. I think it's such an awesome, uh, thing that even just bringing more attention to would be really cool. Cause I think there's a lot of other triathletes who, don't know a lot about it and would like to get involved with it. So I think having more information and just like more eyes on it could be really good. Cause I mean, I've never even considered doing one, but you know, maybe one day. Triathlon shouldn't just be Ironman. Yeah. There's so much more than, than just Ironman. And the community hasn't yet cracked the code on all triathlon is cool triathlon. Yeah. And there's so much more. I mean, there's so much you can do. And so many things that you may be better at too. So I think yeah, having the opportunity to explore the different events. Super League, Xterra, short course draft legal, Olympic distance, non-draft legal, PTO distance, half Ironman, Ironman, all have different physiological demands and yeah. specialties. So, and they're all equally cool to watch if presented in the right way. So, you know, I think Eric's sort of pioneering in that space of making some of that other stuff cool. And then Paula's, laser focused mindset is you know cool to see it was cool to see in person on how focused she was and then also executing the plan and then yeah um you know just able to perform at that high level even after a a setback for her defined by her at Oceanside coming to beat a pretty tough field at St. Anthony's and hopefully perform in Ibiza yeah no it's definitely really fun to have the opportunity to look up to different professionals because it kind of makes following and watching so much more fun because I don't know, I feel like we're rooting for so many people and that's why we're so excited about this race coming up this weekend because there's just so many professionals in the field that we look up to and are excited to see how they, how they do against each other. Yeah. And the best part about triathlon is if you're rooting for someone, you're not rooting against someone else. Like if you yeah. like the Yankees, you hate, the the Phillies or you're not a Mets fan because of it you know yeah you definitely never you're never mad about the outcome because oftentimes you're you know it's just like 
either somebody you were pulling for or someone you weren't. And then you go and look and learn about them and you, you're like, wow, they're an inspiration too. So yeah. Yeah. It's like Christian got carried out on a stretcher in Kona, gave his absolute best performance. And it's like, Oh, Gustav won. He's awesome too. We love Gustav too. So, um, triathlon's awesome. And all the pros are awesome who put so much effort and hard work for a sport that's not very heavily monetized. It's such a passion based sport. So yeah, we look up to the community in general, but those are just some of the names. Maybe we'll circle back to this question another time if, if it's asked again, and give some updates on other pros doing really cool things. So yeah. And if, if you're new to triathlon, I highly recommend just getting out and looking into some of these different professionals. And a lot of them have websites, Instagrams, YouTubes, and just kind of looking into their lives and kind of hearing their stories, because I think it is an inspiration. And, you know, oftentimes they have lots of advice and just really great things to say that can always help you along in triathlon. And I don't know, kind of inspire you to get out and get working hard every day. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's the questions. Be sure to Keep sending them in. Get a hold of us. Ask them however you'd like. Kaylee's Instagram has a link tree page to ask right there. Keep them coming and we'll keep answering them. And I think that's a that's a good place to, to wrap up. If you like the content, please click subscribe. Please follow along on, on Spotify. And we'll keep these coming weekly. Yeah, we'll be here next week. And... Uh, and at Chattanooga, I hope to see anybody who's listening there. Make sure you say hi. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Catch you soon. Bye.